Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hey, everybody. I'm Susanna Mars. Welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I'm here today with Kevin Newbery. Mr. Newbery made his Portland Opera debut directing Nixon in China in 2006 and has since directed Galileo Galilei, Postcard from Morocco, and Eugene Onegin with the company. He's directed new productions for Lyric Opera of Chicago, the Park Avenue Armory, the Santa Fe Opera, the Kennedy Center, and the San Francisco Opera. Hi, Mr. Newbery. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. How did you come into the world of opera directing? Well, I was very fortunate when I moved to New York City. Well, I I grew up uh, doing lots of theater and show choir and played the piano. And I've always been a, a theater and music animal and grew up on MTV and pop culture. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to New York, I needed to have a steady job and I wanted to work in the arts world. And I was very fortunate to get a job at New York City Opera at Lincoln Center back in 2000. And that was my introduction to the opera world. And uh, I haven't really looked back since. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Maine. Oh, wonderful. So not Right near the other Portland, actually. I I have a a lot of friends and grew up right near... Uh, I grew up in Auburn, Maine, which is about a half hour from Portland, Maine. So I know both Portlands very well. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, I just interviewed George Manahan, and he uh, told me that you had a mentor by the name of Jim Robinson. Can you tell me a little bit about your mentorship with him? Sure. I met Jim Robinson at New York City Opera, the same place I met George Manahan, actually. Mm -hmm. And I loved Jim's work, and so I wrote to him and started assisting him. And in fact, Nixon in China was originally his production, and he was so busy. Uh, in fact, he was about the same age I am now. I just turned 40, and he was um, you know, enjoying the same kind of busy schedule that I'm enjoying. And so he needed an, a, an associate to take the show on the road. So he gave me this very cool production of Nixon to take, take on after we did it in St. Louis, and that's how I got to know everyone in Portland. It's so funny because it just so happens that uh, in 2006, uh, my kids were pretty little, and I thought, oh, you know, I had read about Nixon in China, and I thought, I'll take our neighborhood kids to the student rehearsal. And uh, needless to say, Nixon in China is a pretty uh, complicated, lengthy, and spectacular opera, but possibly not for children between the ages of 7 and 11. I would I would confirm that that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. So sadly, that experience made me the least popular mom in our neighborhood. <laughs> that's really funny. Well, they can't blame you for trying. Right? No, I know. I just I don't know what I was thinking. Really, I just I enjoy so much sharing music with my kids, and I love the colors of it, and the production is just spectacular, and the airplane, and there's so many aspects of it that I thought they would love, but just. I don't know. We did a lot of walking. We were way high up in the rafters. We went over to the uh, the fountain across the street. So we made we made it work. <laughs> That's great. And That's I, a really funny story. I loved the production. Just just FYI. Oh well, thank you. It was mm-hmm. really really Jim's, and I sort of got the got the credit for taking it on the road and putting new people in. But we we had a wonderful time making that, and and that production is still traveling around. But I'm not involved with it any longer. It must be interesting to see a production have such a long life and continue on with, with things that you really had a hand in at the beginning. Yes, it's a very uh, joyful experience mm-hmm. to, to make something and, and have it uh, tour the country and the world, especially I do a lot of new pieces and world premieres. It's especially fun when something new 
really catches on and becomes part of the canon. Mm-hmm. To do a lot of world premieres must be exciting and also very challenging because you're really asking yourself hard questions about what you're presenting and how you're presenting it. And certainly the upcoming production of Faust fits into that category. I know that you have just opened the opera uh, at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And um, how does it feel now to be moving it to Portland? And you have uh, uh, one person who was in the cast previously. What's that like? Well, it's very exciting because Faust is a a really cool production that we all had a blast putting together. And it was very well received in Chicago, especially from audiences that don't necessarily go to the opera all the time. Mm -hmm. There were some purists that, uh, you know, if if the biggest criticism is there's a little bit too much going on, well, that's because I get bored at the opera 90% of the time, even though it's what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I actually feel so proud of the work that we did. It uses technology and sculpture mm-hmm. and costumes in a really interesting way. And then Portland, which is one of my favorite cities and favorite companies to work for, mm-hmm. Portland and Chicago both are great cities and great opera companies, so it's an exciting collaboration. And so to bring it into Portland and just keep making it better, to keep going deeper, and, and Portland has such an appetite for adventurous, interesting work, I think it's going to do very well there. Mm-hmm. And we can only get better the second time. And it's fun to put a new cast in. I'll, I'll miss our original cast. They were fantastic. But, but the second time is always easier because we really fleshed out the details of the show. And, and it was exciting to see how it was received. Well, speak to the collaboration with your sculptor and visual artist, John Frame, who is a Los Angeles-based artist. Uh, how did that collaboration come to be? And then how did it mature? So Chris Vitaliano, the general director of Portland Opera, gets all of the credit for the matchmaking. He asked me when I was in town for Onegin a couple of years ago if I would look at John's work and if I was interested in meeting him to talk about a collaboration on Faust. And, and as soon as I saw John's work, I fell in love with his, his compassion and his theatricality as an artist. And we met and we hit it off immediately, just very close close friends and collaborators right away. That tends to be the way that I work. It's like, are we friends and collaborators for life or not? And mm. you usually know in the first five minutes. And then I brought in some of, some other members of my my artistic team, Vita Takun, who works with on sets and costumes with John, David Adam Moore, who did the video design and adapted John's video work. He's also a filmmaker. He does stop motion animation. And Dwayne Schuler, our lighting designer. So the the five of us, put together this entire world from scratch using John's imagination and character. So it was a a really fun, challenging, and satisfying process. How did you visualize things together? Were you in a room together? Did you use sets, dolls, pictures? How do you communicate artistically between the five of you? That's such a great question. And, you know, the artistic process is a very bewildering thing, right? You never Mm -hmm. know when that eureka moment is going to happen. But the first thing that we did that was so important, uh, I brought Vita on first Mm because I knew that even though she's an incredible designer in her own right Mm -hmm. and doesn't usually collaborate with other designers, usually she's making her own sets and costumes, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so to take on the assignment of working with someone with a pre-existing vision and trying to adapt that, I just knew that she would be excited by his work, which she was, and that they would hit it off personally. So we went there to John's studio for for a long weekend. We went twice, but to uh, the first time we went, we just we listened to the opera and we 
we spent so much time in his studio looking at all of his creations. We drank scotch by the fireplace and talked philosophy and evolutionary psychology and music and, and had wonderful meals with John and his wife, Laura. And, and we just completely entered his world. And then we went back another for another visit with David, our video designer, and spent a lot of time working out the details. And then endless Skype meetings and phone calls and, and emails and drop boxes. And it's a very long process to come up with a production, but mm-hmm. it was very inspiring. I, I have to give a shout out to Christopher Mataliano, who I remember when we spoke about this collaboration a while back, just the excitement of, of his, how I felt it was palpable of bringing uh, Mr. Frame into the artistic process at the opera. Oh, it was just incredible. And that to sit with John in the back of the theater on opening night in Chicago and to see what we had created, it was so important to me that he felt like we had honored his vision. So, I mean, maybe you'll have a chance to talk to him too, but the, imagine the challenge or uh, the the potential pitfalls of taking these tiny creatures that you've made with your hands mm-hmm. and then seeing them brought to life on a macrocosmic scale in an opera house and losing that kind of control that you have in a studio. So he was incredibly generous in that way. And, and Chris, uh, Chris is so good at his job and everyone at Portland Opera is so supportive. It's one of my favorite places to, to make work because they encourage us to, to push the buttons and to think outside the box and to really fulfill our vision. And he, he really had a good idea when he said that the two of us should meet because we're, we're just friends for life. And, and that's a big part of a general director's job is matching talent. And he's one of the best in the country at doing it. Hmm. I was just talking to Katrina Galka about how opera has been evolving. And I think the density of your production, at least it seems on paper and what I've been learning about it, it really matches how our world is changing and requiring art to have many, many layers and facets. And how do you think that speaks to the story of Faust? Well, I think, you know, Faust is an opera that I wasn't necessarily drawn to. Every time I've seen it, it felt uh, it felt long and and it has a lot of kind of what seemed like outdated plot points about you know religion and sexuality. And and so even though we didn't update it in terms of time period, we updated its sensibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my favorite comment in Chicago so many people said they wished it was longer, that they didn't want it to end. Mm. I've never heard anyone say that about Faust before. So, and, and using the immediacy of technology and uh, of John's work, and we live in such a visual culture, so it's a colorful production. It's also, it, it's dark. It brings out all aspects of what it means to be alive. It has a sense of whimsy to it. It was funny and scary. And, uh, and we certainly, we'll keep fine-tuning it, but I just loved every moment of it because there was always something interesting to look at and unexpected creations. We had these four, what we call the devil characters that, that uh, assist Mephisto. So most people know the story of Faust. He signs the deal with the devil to go to be young again. Mm-hmm. And, and these four actors wearing these masks and costumes from, from John's body of work, they were such a physical presence and they were animating the entire production. And it felt like, anyone can relate to that of all of our, our inner demons that cajole us on to do certain things. And, and so visualizing that and animating it, it all came from John's work and it just made for, it felt more like a Broadway show than an opera because there was so much going on and so much to look at. Hmm. 
And is your career similar to that of an opera singer? Do you have uh, shows out in front of you years in the future? I do, and I, I'm a total omnivore. I direct film and theater, and I'm doing a couple of Broadway projects coming up, mm. and and uh, you know I'm d- developing some TV ideas, and I do a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm very lucky to to get to do what I love for a living. And but opera does plan very far ahead of time. It can be a little scary sometimes. Well, there's two answers to that question, right? It's so great to have job security and know that. I have a couple of shows in 2022, but then sometimes I panic. Well, what if I'm, what if my life and career is in a different place and I don't want to do that show in 2022? Mm-hmm. So it's a, but, but I would never want to be accused of complaining about having too much work in the future. That sounds <laughs> ungrateful, but uh, it is a balancing act. Well, especially when you're balancing several genres in the art making world. Right. And they all inform each other. Like when I, when I do a film, I'm excited to go do an opera. If I do three operas in a row, I can't wait to go do a play. Hmm. I just find that that everything relates. For me, it's all one project, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's all investigating the human condition, especially right now. Because, I mean, look what's happening in the world around us in this country. This is actually happening, right? Yes. really happening. And so what are we doing as as artists and as, uh, you know, the conversation that we're having right now? What does it mean to be alive right now? And... So I, everything feeds, feeds into each other for me. I find the artistic process very hopeful, and that was actually a question I wanted to ask you, is what do you find hopeful about these times? And I would say certainly as an artist, uh, you're providing hope for so many people. I, I completely agree, and I, I actually feel this incredible revolution of empathy right now. Now, granted, I live in New York City, and you live in Portland, I assume, right? Yes. So these, mm-hmm. you know, these. I'm in Austin, Texas, right now, as I talk to you, just on a weekend vacation away from Houston, where I'm doing a show. And and I can only speak to New York, but I, I bet it's very similar in Portland. There's this real feeling in in my community. It's like Berlin before the war. It's like minds coming together to think about how do we get in this situation and how can the power of art and empathy bring people together. Mm-hmm. I just saw two of my favorite bands in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago, and and seeing them around the corner from this madness, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this palpable sense, without even talking about politics, this sense of people wanting to come together and to be in a communal space, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to listen to music, to talk about issues. And so I find, as, as depressing as it is to live in the in this country right now, uh, I'm assuming because we're a Portland radio show, I can talk this candidly. Mm-hmm. And this is just how I talk anyway. And, and so what are we doing to combat that? And so I'm very fortunate to do a lot of operas, whether it's redefining a classic like Faust mm-hmm. or or a world premiere like Fellow Travelers that I've been doing all over the country about the Lavender Scare during the McCarthy era. So what is it that we can say about being alive that can bring people together and move people and maybe even change hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's an incredibly exciting time to be an empath and be an artist and be a thinker and try to wake up every day and try to make the world a little bit better because somebody has to. Mm. How do you check in with your audience in regard to that? I wonder that I'm uh, doing this podcast, but I'm mostly a, a singer and an actress myself. And I, I it's right, interesting, right. you know, you're in your world of making work and then, you know, how do you make contact and, and check in about what you're doing? I mean, that's so interesting because I'm the kind of director, 
I don't know, if we're, if we're talking about like different mindsets, right? A lot of the great minds of the world. And mm-hmm. our production of Faust is very much about this, even though you might not get it this outwardly. It's the undercurrents of all of it. We're also interested in evolutionary psychology and how the mind works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of great minds have Asperger's or autism, and a lot of great minds are, are empaths and read every emotion around, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I have a great mind. I'm just saying that I am an empath. Like, I see how everyone is feeling in any room all the time. Mm-hmm. So I am the kind of director who actually sits in the back of the theater and watches the audience constantly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell how a room is feeling. It's, I mean, actually, it's my job, right? It's to make a room full of people laugh or cry at given moments or feel inspired mm-hmm. and to use every tool in our toolkit from lighting and film to how I direct the singers to the entire package so I now not all directors are like that. Some directors are more iconoclastic and like, I'm just going to make a show and hope the audience likes it. Mm-hmm. But I actually want to make something that, that people will really connect to. And this is a long answer to your question, but I, mm. I got to see Faust five times in Chicago because I was doing fellow travelers at the same time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I usually leave after opening night. They don't keep the directors around. So being there and watching it five times and seeing it get stronger and stronger and see the audience react to it. Mm-hmm. I, I had such a really good sense of, of which moments were working and which ones need to be reexamined. And mm. so I, it's important to me if the, if the audience likes it or when it's a more political piece, like, okay, another, another example was about that everybody wanted to go talk about it, right? Mm. There were so many symbols and ideas in it that even though it was, it was divisive and some people loved it and some people had questions, they all talked about it over dinner and drinks after. And that's my number one goal is that people leave and want to engage with the work and talk about it. So you go to a lot of happy hours, I bet. Oh, I sure do. Absolutely. Post-show happy <laughs> hours and just kind of put your ear out there. Oh, I love to. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was interesting. I was talking about this with a playwright the other day, and she has written a play here in Portland called The Thanksgiving Play. And we were talking about laughter and audience response and how with this advent of equity, diversity and inclusion that the responses to theater and in general, and I'd say opera may fall into this as well, that the audience response is going to be changing as a result to how we are giving information to audiences. And not all groups of people will have the same response to certain types of material. And she was uh, noting that in her audiences, she was finding this popcorn laughter where pockets of people would respond to certain things where other people thought that was funny and then other people were uncomfortable. And I thought, well, that's really fascinating because the way theater has been in the past is somewhat predictable in responses. And now as we're expanding audience and expanding the ways in which we're communicating, we are appealing to many groups of people, many of whom will have different types of responses. Oh, I agree completely. That's what's so fascinating about it. That's why I love student dress rehearsals, right? It's so exciting when you have uh, a bunch of high school kids from all different parts of the city all coming to see a show Mm -hmm. like Faust, right? And Mm. it's so wonderful to hear them boo the villain when he has his curtain call. But then some people are cheering loudly for him, too. You know, that kind of thing I think is so interesting. And what, what do people laugh at? When do they get uncomfortable and and kids are such a great barometer for that, and, mm. but especially in a big, in a, you know, three thousand seat, two thousand seat opera house, that's a lot of people and different sensibilities, mm-hmm. and and trying to challenge everybody of all ages and 
and socioeconomic background and level of familiarity with the art form Mm -hmm. and uh, and try to make it that people actually want to engage with it. But I find that so fascinating. When do people laugh? When do they cry? How does Mm. it differ from age groups and that sort of thing? Yeah. And how do we bust through the kind of old fashioned stereotypes about how we behave at opera and who attends opera and other symphonies versus theater versus, uh, you know, performance art, street music, you know, that we all can experience all of these genres. Absolutely. And, and like mediocrity and, and, and safe choices is the enemy of, of art, right? I mean, I would rather have a show like Faust where the reviews we got were either over the moon raised, people had never seen anything like it, how mm. inventive it was, or there was some, and again, there's a role for critics. I'm not taking anything away from that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's better to be written about than not written about, as Oscar Wilde said. Mm. Without critics, you don't have a career, right? You got to mm. have somebody writing about you to say that you're doing stuff. And right. and so, but then some of the press was like, oh, there's too much going on, and well, I don't. There's too much video, and I I couldn't watch this or that. I said, well, great. I'd rather have critics arguing about whether it's a masterpiece or whether it failed. And have everyone say, well, that was really pretty. I really mm. liked it. I'm glad that I got to see it. Yeah. Because who remembers that? Our goal is to create experiences that hopefully people will remember the rest of their lives. Mm. Every single show I do, I want it to be the best thing you've ever seen, not mm. just a lovely night out. <laughs> right. It doesn't always happen, but that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. How do you digest those experiences and then move forward? I, do you have, uh, what do you do in the morning to get ready to go to work? Well, I mean, I love caffeine and I, I mean, routine is hard. I travel all the time. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I'm the poster child for work-life balance. I mean, mm-hmm. I, but it's a, it's all, for me, it's all work. I mean, mm-hmm. I, right before I, I'm in Austin right now, I just spent the whole morning walking around and going to art galleries and listening to podcasts and mm-hmm. so I'm getting exercise. I'm enjoying the local scene. What are your favorite it, podcasts? Oh, I love Invisibilia. That's one of my absolute favorites. Mm-hmm. I love 99% Invisible, mm-hmm. Radio Lab, This American Life. I mean, I, I love, I listen to NPR One a lot. So mm-hmm. there's just lots of, uh, today I was listening to On Drugs, this whole new podcast about different ways that drugs affect our, our psychology and our sexuality and just really interesting. So I'm a total omnivore, as I said earlier. So I, I kind of, I don't know if you've seen the Marina Abramovich documentary of the artist was present. Oh, I adore I just, that. I just, it's, oh, it's amazing, right? I yes. just watch that. It's like you either get up every day and do it or you don't, right? And mm-hmm. like, so when you ask me what I get up and do, I get up and I, I try to solve a problem or I get on a conference call about a design or I, my brain is always working a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I exercise and take care of myself and need to quit smoking cigarettes because that's my thing and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. it's a, a, it's like a full-time job, just like trying to surround yourself with people and experiences that will, that will inspire us, right? So mm-hmm. we have some good ideas to then deliver to other people. <laughs> mm, right. So I interrupted you, sadly, but you said you woke up in Austin and you walked around. And so I imagine when you go to various cities, you've got to kind of get the lay of the land where you're going to be living for the next three, four, five weeks. Yes, exactly. And then, and so I'm in Houston right now doing a show and I just came up here for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And so I've spent all morning like listening to different bands that are playing. So I bought some tickets to go see a concert tonight and mm-hmm. I got a recommendation for a very cool 
queer dance party that sounds amazing. Mm. Austin's a lot like Portland, actually, and they get compared a lot. It has a, a really fantastic kind of, you know, vibe to it. It's mm. really, really open and, and very uh, hipstery, for lack of a better word, which mm. is fine with me. And, mm. and uh, so it's just a, like, a, even though I'm on vacation right now for a couple of days, it's still all work. It's all about feeding the mind and soul and, and uh, trying to find new, um, you know, new ways of thinking about things. So I, I love it. Yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's like mind calisthenics to keep in the flow of what's happening around you. And certainly every city has got myriad opportunities to, uh, you know, thrill your mind. Absolutely. And I just love to walk out and and choose one place to start and just see where the day takes me, mm. especially in a city like Austin, which you can really walk around a lot. And mm. I like to just be surprised and inspired. And I, uh, I love it. I have the best job in the world. Hmm. So I, we were talking about what, about how you provide hope to audiences. What do you find most hopeful about these times? Well, I, I find that, uh, that people that are genuinely, empathic that that do see emotion around them and can read social cues and, and that people that want to bring the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. I find that there's this hive mind mentality going on, kind of like how grasshoppers turn into locusts, which I could talk about all day, right? It's like that, 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 that minds like ours, I can tell even just talking to you over the phone, mm-hmm. that you're the same way, that that we're gravitating towards each other in a way that I think it's always been there, but because of what's going on right now, we're all really forced to think about, well, why do we believe what we believe? It's either because of or in spite of how we were raised and who we've met and what we've experienced. And in my case, I'm fortunate it's because I was raised to question sources and to think openly and to see people for who and what they are. And and so I just find that that, that empaths like, and, and, you know, and, intellectuals that really want to question what it means to be alive, we're just sort of finding each other more than ever in a way that I find very inspiring. It's mm. like, I can feel all of this sounds like psychobabble, but I just, it's true. I feel all of our minds kind of coming together to figure out how, why is it that we actually see the world this way, that we, that we do have this compassion and this, and this sense of curiosity, mm-hmm. the lack of curiosity would who's running our country right now is maybe the biggest offense of all. Right. Mm. And, and lack of curiosity and empathy. I mean, do you find this too, that like that the people are just talking more and do you find that people are coming together more in, in your, in your world too? Absolutely. And I feel so fortunate to be in the artistic community. And I, that's one of the things that I just love most about being an artist is it's curious. Curiosity drives us in such a wonderful way. Exactly. There are so many questions that our work opens us up to uh, and, allows us to be in contact with our community and have opportunities to create contact and connecting points and to, to question ourselves and our motives and what we're doing and how we're doing it. And part of our job is to examine those things. It's, it's pretty thrilling time. It is. I feel so lucky to wake up every day and that I get to go do a job that I can put my energy into. I mean, if I had to sit around listening to the news all day, I would be in a depression, right? So it's, (laughs) that to be able to go and, and actively make art and try to make a difference and bring people together. Mm-hmm. That having that philosophy that, 
that the best idea wins. It's all about collaboration. And our whole team for Faust thinks this way. That's why the show is so exciting. Mm -hmm. And we can't wait to get back to it, right? Mm -hmm. And because we, my favorite opening night is when I lose track of what idea came from where because it was such a collaborative process. And mm. and consistently, and the, the, one of the things I'm so proud of in the work that I do is that, that the cast and crew feels a real sense of ownership and camaraderie over the story that we're trying to tell. And then that communicates to the audience. I just, I know that it does. And you can make art by being a jerk. You know, there's a lot of, of you know, uh, try to not swear on the radio. There's a lot of terrible people out there that are really cruel. And actually a lot of directors and artists, or at least some that, that prefer to belittle people to get good performances. And mm. I just think that those of us that think the opposite are really coming together. And I think we have, we could, art could actually change the world. I mean, it certainly changed my life. And I, I really believe that it can. And, yeah. and thank God. Yeah, it's 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 very exciting, and my hope, of course, is to spread the word about the artistic process because I do believe that it applies to every job on the planet. Absolutely, right? I mean, how many of our friends that go and do other jobs and they've spent all this time in the theater and they're like, wow, I can do anything. Mm -hmm. So communication, you walk into a normal office environment, like, wow, collaboration and creativity is just something that we do every single day. <laughs> exactly. And it's so much fun. It's funny, too. I was thinking about this recently, how so many people, you know, like as you said, your work is your life and your life is your work. And that's exactly how I feel about it. And there are so many people in our world who leave the workplace. Oh, thank heaven I'm out of there. And not that we don't get tired of work. And certainly we need, uh, you know, rest from that kind of driving world. But there is something to be said when you're loving what you do and you're just in the flow. That's what I call it. When you're just no, you know, the, the right things are coming. You're with the right people. It's just, I mean, I think it can really be in everyone's life. I really hope for it for everyone. I feel the same way, you know, and, you know, and I always say that I, I need more weekends off, mm -hmm. but I don't need more weeks off. Like if I have a week off, I want to go make a music video or I want to go on a retreat and, and work on a new screenplay with somebody like the, the idea of I'm happy to have three days off right now where I'm not like in endless meetings and mm. rehearsals and stuff. But, mm -hmm. but if I have a week off, I want to go do something creative because that's actually, I, I, it's what feeds me. I just, mm. I love it. Yeah. I, I, mean, so I agree. Busy. My mom would say I need a week off, but you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So my last question to you is what do you crave? What do I crave? I mean, I, I crave exactly what we're talking about. I crave that alchemy in a room when talent and minds are all coming together for a common purpose. I, mm. When you're in that kind of flow, as you said, right, I can't wait to get to work. I, I walk faster. Mm. Now, of course, we all have shows that are problematic and stuff, but, but for the most part, I've been very lucky. So I, I crave that sense of community and that sense of having a common purpose that art and theater gives me. And, and I crave being in a room that I'm leading where everyone is up for that and wants to come meet me and to go along for the ride. Mm, so magnificent. I'm so delighted that you're going to be coming to Portland and everyone can come see Faust at Portland Opera. And Kevin Newbery, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me today. And I'll look oh, forward to hopefully you. seeing you in Portland at some point. I look forward to meeting you. You're so much fun to talk to. Thank oh, you so much. You too. I, I enjoyed it so very much. All right. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh,